0: So we've been in Galatians 5 for a little while here. We finished a sermon series in the Gospel of John. And we haven't gone all the way through the book of Galatians, but we've kind of been camped out around this list that's called the fruit of the Spirit. we've looked at the flesh versus the Spirit, this battle that's going on, and some other concepts in the chapter. But we're actually in the list now. And over the last couple of weeks, we have covered love, Enjoy, which, if we proceed in chronological order here, as they appear in the text, will, or consecutive order, will bring us to peace. And that is indeed what we are going to do this morning. We are going to look at the fruit of the Spirit is peace. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit desires to bear the fruit of peace in your life? Does it mean that you'll develop a stoic personality, basically impermeable and immune to suffering, so that you will never lose your peace? We will all become British and keep a stiff upper lip. Does Does it mean that you will develop a detachment from all desire, perhaps instead of going Western, we'll go Eastern? We will detach from desire entirely so that we will never lose our peace. After all, if you set the bar very low, you will never be disappointed, right? And in this way, we will achieve peace. Or does it mean that we will become suffering avoidant and conflict avoidant so that we never find ourselves in an uncomfortable situation and thereby lose our peace? (laughs) <laughs> many people think about peace in these aforementioned ways, and, and there are probably many other misconceptions in terms of what people think when they, when they think about pursuing peace or, or, or being a peaceful person or being at peace or however we might phrase it. Many people think of peace as mere tranquility or mere serenity or mere composure or something like this. And the way to get and maintain this peace, as people conceive it, is supposedly to learn to be composed or tranquil or serene in any and every circumstance. Or to avoid the circumstances altogether in which you know you're not going to be able to maintain tranquility and composure. So you become a peaceful person, really, by... Shielding yourself from things that stress you out and bother you by the decisions you make The way that you manage your life your money your time your energy your resources so that you never really have to go into Uncomfortable situations and thereby lose your peace This is the way these are the kinds of ways. I can't obviously deal with every Incorrect way, but these are the sorts of incorrect ways a sampling of incorrect ways that many people think about peace Simply become more resilient or lower your expectations or avoid difficult situations. Don't get so worked up or whatever. These are the kinds of things you hear as people try to tell you how to become a more peaceful person. However, even someone without the Holy Spirit can, and it would benefit them greatly, to learn how to be more resilient. There are lots of resilient unbelievers. Someone without the Holy Spirit can likewise adjust their expectations to be more reasonable and realistic and not get worked up about small things and avoid, in that way, unnecessary overreactions which lead to too much frustration and disappointment in one's life. People can just adjust and adapt to reality even apart from the Holy Spirit to a certain extent whereby they just expect normal things from the world and and don't they're not frenetic and frantic and stressed out all the time about every little thing Someone without the Holy Spirit can likewise avoid difficult situations and thereby remain unperturbed by the suffering in the world simply because they don't have a large share of it in their own present lives if if somebody takes millions of dollars and shields themselves from difficulty and trouble, and has a pretty stress free, peaceful existence. Guess what? By that means, the peace that they've achieved is not the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit of millions of dollars. The thing that all of these conceptions of peace and the way to get it have in common is that they're all predicated on the understanding that it is our relationship to external factors which will determine if we have peace or not. According to these ways of thinking, we can either learn, we can learn either to anticipate external suffering more, realistic, more realistically, so that we're not unrealistic people who are always shocked when something bad happens and thereby always stressed out. Or we can res- learn to respond to it better when it happens by doing things like building resiliency and so forth or we can avoid it altogether by any of these means we may have peace this is what this is what's in common it's all about how we relate to external difficulties and circumstances but i read a blog post a couple of weeks ago and shared it with many of you on whatsapp in which the author contrasts a what if mindset with an even if mindset Vanita Risner writes, When you think about the future and wonder, what if the worst happens? What if? I've spent a lifetime considering the what ifs. Those questions have a way of unsettling me, destroying my peace, leaving me insecure. See, the problem is, That there are certain what-ifs, which will prove too much for our stoicism. You can only keep a stiff upper lip to a point. You can only be stoic, impermeable, and unmoved to a point. There are what-ifs which are too much for our detachment from high expectations. Even if you set the bar extremely low, there is suffering in this world which will mean that it doesn't even meet the low bar. And your life is utterly, utterly difficult, miserable. There are what-ifs, which will prove to be too much, even for a difficulty-avoidant lifestyle. How many times have you heard of somebody with millions of dollars who has tried to shield themselves from suffering, and suffering... Finds its way in somehow, whether by means of disease or tragedy, or whether by means of going broke and no longer being able to shield oneself. You just, there are what ifs that, whatever our strategies are to get peace, there are what ifs that can penetrate those defenses. Rissner who wrote the the blog post that I said a moment ago, writes, replacing what if with even if is one of the most liberating exchanges that we can ever make. Even if my worst fears are realized. Even if my life is chock full of suffering and difficulty and doesn't even meet a low bar. Even if my I cannot shield myself from all the difficulties and and challenges that people experience in life, even if I'm still at peace. Much better to have an even if kind of peace, rather than a what if kind of peace. So let's continue with an examination of how the Holy Spirit bears even if peace in our lives, beginning with this glorious truth. The Holy Spirit at work in our lives bears the fruit of peace with God. Amen. Amen. For those of us who have trusted in Christ Jesus, reoriented our lives toward Him, and we've turned decisively, though not perfectly, from sin, it is the Holy Spirit who has brought about that change. We are saved by grace, through faith, yes. And that is the human part of the process. We made a choice. We repented. God did not repent. He had nothing to repent for. Jesus did not repent. He had nothing to repent for. The Holy Spirit did not repent. He had nothing to repent for. We repented. The Holy Spirit didn't trust in Jesus to save Him from His sins. Right, it would be blasphemous to suggest such a thing, for the Holy Spirit has no sin. So, who trusted in Jesus for salvation from sin? It was us. We believed, we repented, we exercised faith. Right? That's the human part of the process. But Ephesians 2 8 says, This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And that refers not only to the salvation that we have received. But even the faith itself by which we take hold of God. Faith itself is a gift of God in this sense. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, when we were blind to the glory of God, when we could not even see the kingdom of God. For Jesus says, unless a man be born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. When we were blind and dead. 1 Peter 1.3 says. God caused us to be born again. You hear it preached like this sometimes. Believe in Jesus and then you'll be born again. Well in that case who causes the new birth? It's you by your initiative. By you believing. But this is the way the Bible says it. If you're not born again. You can't even see the kingdom of God. God. Caused us to be born again, Peter says in 1 Peter 1 3. God, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 says, God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There's a clear parallel there with creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness w- was over the face of the deep. And God, and this, sorry, I'm quoting from memory here. The spirit of God was over the, boy. Said, yeah. Moving on. <laughs> and God said, and God said, let there be light. That's the point, right? Who helped God? Nobody. There was darkness that nobody else did anything about. God did it all by Himself. And Second Corinthians 4 parallels this. in the, He who said, let light shine out of darkness, shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There was darkness there that no one else could do anything about. We were not yet, at that point, born again. And so we could not even see the kingdom of God, let alone enter it. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We couldn't choose Jesus until we saw Jesus. And we couldn't see Jesus with spiritual eyes, rightly perceiving Him, until God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we couldn't see, the Holy Spirit caused us to see. When we couldn't feel the right way about Jesus, the Holy Spirit changed our hearts. When we couldn't believe and repent because of our deadness and our blindness, the Holy Spirit caused faith and repentance in our lives by changing us inwardly so that we actually wanted to repent and believe. Those of us who have trusted in Christ Jesus... Who have reoriented our lives toward Him and turned decisively. Decisively, though not perfectly, from sin. We have done so because of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives prior to believing and repenting. Without the Holy Spirit, we would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. We would still be blind to spiritual realities. We were not better, wiser, more receptive, more moral than anyone else, such that we have obtained reconciliation with God because of our wisdom. Because we were better, because we were a little wiser. When we heard the gospel, we were better than our neighbor who heard the gospel at the same time and did not believe Now. Nah. Look, without the Holy Spirit working in your life, while you were dead, while you were blind, you would still be dead and blind. We have obtained reconciliation with God then. By grace you have been saved. Through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God chose us to be His people and then worked effectively in us by His Holy Spirit to bring us to faith and repentance toward Christ. It is a gift of God, in the language of Ephesians 2, so that no one may boast. So the result, or the fruit, of what the Holy Spirit has brought to our lives, or done in our lives, is as Romans 5.1 says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit right there. So the peace that the Holy Spirit brings to our lives begins with peace with God. Then this leads to three other kinds of peace. We could call them subsidiary types of peace if we want to be technical or precise. The first peace that peace with God leads to is what we might call psychological peace. The Holy Spirit at work in our lives bears the fruit of psychological peace. There is no verse in the Bible that says the Holy Spirit bears the fruit of psychological peace in our lives. At least not in exactly those terms. But this is what most people think of when they think of having peace. And there's ample biblical support for the concept that the Holy Spirit does bear this kind of peace in our lives. The Holy Spirit bears a sense of tranquility and well-being in our lives. Serenity, which may persist as we mature in Christ and grow in this peace in spite of whatever may be going on externally. And in that way it differs from the world's peace. The mature Christian does not say, "I have peace for now, but what if?" The mature Christian is able to say even if the worst happens externally, nevertheless the Holy Spirit has borne the fruit of psychological peace in my life. Consider Habakkuk's statement in chapter three, which I referred to last Sunday also. Though the fig tree should not blossom, though there be no fruit on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. These are the words of a man with psychological peace. Or the psalmist statement in Psalm 4, verse 7. Speaking to the Lord, He says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. So the Holy Spirit bears this sense of joy, well-being, tranquility, serenity... Even when the vat is empty. The world needs their grain and wine to abound in order to have what we have, even if there's no grain and wine. Again, these are the words of a man with psychological peace. Philippians 4, 11 to 13 Paul himself, who also wrote Galatians 5, says, I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content." I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In other words, he's experienced both sides. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse is not about dunking a basketball. (laughs) That verse... That verse is about fortitude and perseverance and difficulty, contentment in Christ. And an even if kind of peace. Even if I am brought low. Even if I am facing hunger and need. Even if I have peace. I have tranquility. I have serenity. I have a sense of well-being. These are the words... Of man with psychological peace. And you find these things all over Scripture. All over Scripture. Even if I still have God, I'm okay. I have peace with God. It is well. As we mature in Christ, we learn to get a sense of well-being. What I'm calling psychological peace. Call it whatever you want. You can understand the idea, and you see it all over the pages of Scripture. As we mature in Christ, we learn to get a sense of well being, not from external circumstances being acceptable to us, but even if they're not, even when our external circumstances are quite difficult, because of the relationship we have with God, because of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Bringing us to faith in Christ and giving present day communion with God as His beloved children. Because of the peace with God that we have, there is this subsidiary psychological peace which flows from that. And this is the fruit that the Holy Spirit bears in our lives. Alexander McLaren asks, what can be strong enough to disturb the tranquility that fills the soul independent of all externals? however long and close may be the siege, the well in the castle courtyard may be full. True peace comes not from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. And we'll be deep in passing all understanding in the exact measure in which we live in and partake of the love of God. So the Holy Spirit will bear this, has borne, if you're a Christian, this Peace with God and will bear this psychological peace in your life, as McLaren says, in exact measure in which we live in and partake of the love of God. So, the way He's going to be bearing this fruit in your life is reminding you of your justification and all that that entails, and and giving you a sweet sense of communion with Christ Jesus, and testifying to the love of God, and unfolding the richness of what it means to belong to God, to be one of Christ's covenant people. The Holy Spirit is going to unfold these things to you and give you a sense of the love of God. More and more as your life goes on, as you get into the Scriptures, as you look, as you read, as you study, in the the language of the Anglican Church, as you read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest, the Holy Spirit will be bringing you more and more into communion with Christ Jesus, which will lead to a psychological peace. So if you don't have this psychological peace, you don't have to go away being like, well, am I even a Christian? It's possible to simply be green on the vine. Not yet right. You haven't come to know Christ as deeply as the older saint or the more mature saint in the pew in front of you or behind you or beside you or whatever who who seems to experience a profound peace. What the Holy Spirit is up to in your life is going to be to bring you deeper into this. This is a subsidiary peace that flows from that original peace with God. The second peace that results from peace with God, the second subsidiary peace, is peace with other men. The Holy Spirit at work in our lives also bears the fruit of peace with other men. John Gill says the effect of peace with God is peace, quietness, and tranquility of mind, which we just talked about. Also, Gill says, peace with men, with the saints, and with all others. For such who are under a work of the Spirit of God, and are influenced and led by Him, these seek after the things which make for peace and edification among the brethren, and are desirous, if possible, to live peaceably with all men. How can we fight against those who Christ is fighting for? How can we cut ourselves off from those to whom Christ has bound Himself? How can we harm those whom Christ is working to heal? How can we hate those whom Christ loves? You get the idea. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul teaches us that Christ Himself is our peace who has made us both one. And broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Now, of course, in that context, it's referring to the division, the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles who had come to know Christ. And yet there were, there were schisms and, and factions in the early church between Jews and Gentiles. And Paul's writing to address that and says, No, no, no. Christ is our peace. The Jews and the Gentiles are one the Jewish believers and the Gentile Christians are in Christ. We've been reconciled in Christ to God and in Christ to one another. By extension then, even though that's the original context, by extension, if even this dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles was broken down by Christ and Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians were reconciled to one another in and through Christ Jesus, by extension, that same principle holds Today, in the present age, to whatever tribes of Christianity are are warring with each other and breaking off in schisms and factions from one another. Christ is our peace, and we ought to be working for the peace of the people of God. The Holy Spirit will be working in us to make us peacemakers. And peacekeepers in the body of Christ and I'm not just talking about CRBC though that's true Christ in in Christ we are all reconciled as Christians one to another here at Covenant Reformed Baptist Church but there are Christians all over this island and there are Christians all over the world and guess what there are a lot of them in different denominations. There are... There are a, I'm going to fill you in on a little secret. Alright? There are a lot of real Christians who are not Reformed. Alright? Look, we have to be peacemakers. Peacekeepers. With the whole body of Christ. Because Christ Himself is our peace. And He has reconciled... Everyone who is a true Christian has been reconciled not only to God in Christ Jesus, but we have have been reconciled objectively one to another. We're in the same family. We're on the same team. When the battle lines are drawn, guess what? Your brothers and sisters in Christ are not in the trench opposite. They're beside you. The Holy Spirit will be making us peacemakers and peacekeepers with the brethren those who are contentious and quarrelsome disturbing relationships among the brethren are still green on the vine even though many of them are in pulpits they haven't yet learned as they ought to have they probably have good doctrine and good public speaking skills that's why they're there But the fruit of the Spirit is peace. And what we do, obviously, we've got to take a stand for truth. Obviously, we've got to contend for the faith once for all, delivered to the saints. But we've got to be peacemakers, peacekeepers, and find a way to pour oil on troubled waters instead of pouring oil on fires. And it's not just toward fellow believers that the Holy Spirit will make us peacemakers and peacekeepers. Romans 12 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In view of this, the Holy Spirit's going to make us peacemakers and peacekeepers with respect to all men, not just Christian ones. It should be less likely, rather than more likely, that a quarrel break will break out. When a Christian attends the Christmas party at the workplace. It should be like, oh good, there's a lot of Christians here. There's no way we're going to have a quarrel. When a Christian attends a family get-together. It should be more like, oh phew, maybe it won't descend into bare chaos the way it did last Thanksgiving. Or last Christmas. Because there is a peacemaker here. There is a peacekeeper here. If anyone in this world is to be a model of a peaceful life and a contributor to real peace in society, let it be the Christians. Let it be those who have the genuine article instead of a counterfeit. Let it be those who have an even-if peace as opposed to a what-if peace. Those who are at peace with God and possess psychological peace within themselves, let it be those who are known as peacemakers and peacekeepers in wider society and not just amongst the brethren. Again, the quarrelsome peace-breaking Christian is not yet ripe. And the Holy Spirit will be working in him to make him peaceable towards his fellow man. Now briefly, before summarizing and concluding, the third piece which results from peace with God is the future hope of peace within our bodies. The Holy Spirit at work in our lives will bear the fruit of peace in our bodies one day. And remember this is a subsidiary piece having been reconciled to God and having peace with God through faith, for those people, subsidiary to that, or a subsidiary of that, is that the Holy Spirit will bear the fruit of peace in our bodies one day. Romans 8 verse 11, If the Spirit of Him who who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Through his spirit who dwells in you some of you may not have thought about death and disease as the absence of peace before no doubt with so many doctors and medical students in the room some of you have but it really is the disharmony between one body part and another or one system and another it is the disharmony of cells in our bodies it is the incompatibility or disharmony between certain external things like food or allergens and the internal components of our body, which is really at the root of all death and disease. Physical death is quite literally the disintegration of our body. So, as opposed to everything being integrated and harmonious and compatible, Death and disease is really the opposite of that. I ate something that disagreed with me. Right? There is no harmony there. There is no peace. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? The Holy Spirit will one day reintegrate and harmonize all of the body's processes and components. And we will have peace in our bodies as well as in our souls. So, here's a summary. Peace is not merely tranquility or serenity or whatever else. Involves that, at least in measure. But peace is a holistic well-being, which the Holy Spirit is working to bring to consummation. One commentator says, The Greek word for peace, like the Hebrew word shalom, means more than the merely negative notion of absence of war and trouble. It denotes, rather, a positive state of wholeness, soundness, and prosperity. In the Septuagint, the word describes the health of the body, welfare and security, perfect serenity and tranquility, a life and state in which a man is perfectly related to his fellow man and to God. That's what biblical peace is. And that's what the Holy Spirit is up to in your life. This holistic well-being. This wholeness. The Holy Spirit planted a seed of peace, so to speak, at your conversion to Christ Jesus, which will blossom and flower into eternal shalom, where disharmony... Disintegration, conflict, and everything that is wrongly related to other things and everyone that is, rightly, that is wrongly related to other people will be rightly related. And tranquility and wholeness of both the soul and the body and society will prevail. This is what we call heaven. Heaven. But when we when we break it down, that's one way of looking at it. That's one legitimate lens to look at it. Where the peace that the Holy Spirit has begun to work in every Christian, where the peace that is a consequence of Christ's crossword is all brought to consummation. And everything is made new, rightly reintegrated, everything is made harmonious and compatible. Every tear is wiped away from our eyes. So in the battle between flesh and spirit, the flesh, which is another way of saying your sinful corruption, will keep you from trusting in Christ and turning from sin in the first place. Then even as believers, our remaining corruption will keep us from the communion with Christ, which is possible for us. And what that's going to mean is that we're stunted in terms of the psychological peace that we enjoy. And we're stunted in terms of being peacemakers and peacekeepers with our brothers and sisters in Christ and with the wider world. And we'll continue to relate to people as we did before the Spirit was at work in our lives. Which is to live at peace only with people we like and agree with. That's what the flesh will do in this battle but the spirit is at work in those who belong to Christ and having given us peace with God he desires to bring us into a greater a deeper communion with Christ Jesus greater awareness of all of the covenant blessings that are ours in Christ of the great love with which our Heavenly Father has for us and our elder brother Christ Jesus has for us in the family of God, of the wonderful riches of the covenant of grace. And this will produce in us greater and greater psychological peace. And as we grow in this faith wherein which we stand and we come to understand these things and we have a greater psychological peace, we're going to work the Gospel out better and better in our lives, and we're going to respond less and less from insecurities and anger and various things that come from a less sanctified heart. And that will lead us to be more increasingly peacemakers, peacekeepers among the brethren and in the wider world. And we're going to be on this trajectory of seeing the peace that the Holy Spirit has begun to work in us blossom and flourish with more and more new buds every spring. Is this the the way to say it for you botanists? Until one day, everything and everyone is at peace with everything and everyone. And all is well. That's an even-if piece, as opposed to a what-if piece, which may grow in our lives, even if everything else goes awry. And that's the kind of fruit that the Spirit is bearing in our lives.